0: It is good to see everyone. Praise the Lord, huh? Uh, I wanna, I have to tread lightly here and I have to make sure I say Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the uh, title of this sermon is Love Over Liberties. And you notice here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we we are looking at what, Paul, uh, what Paul's address is to different problems in the church. And what's happening here is that when an individual comes to saving faith in Christ, the person is set free. We understand this. We know this. This is why we quote the verse. It says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. This is what Jesus says, right? Free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of dominating sin, and ultimately free from the presence of sin in heaven. And as a Christian, as you dive into the word of God, you learn what honors God and what does not honor him. You know that you are forgiven in Christ, but you learn what true obedience looks like. But see, there are certain areas... What about those areas where the scriptures don't speak about? And this is what Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 8... Because they're having the same problems of these so-called gray areas... That we might say are gray areas. What about those areas that are not specifically forbidden in the Bible? You can't say that they are sin. You have no authority to say that it's sin. If we are to be a people of the book... We have to lean on what the letter says. So there's many sharp arguments and debates have been over the very issues that are not specifically stated in scripture. Smoking. Chewing tobacco. People get all upset. They get all flamed. How could you be a Christian and chew tobacco? Right. Drinking alcohol. Wearing loads of makeup. Makeup. Playing cards. I remember one couple uh, got upset at me when we were playing speed. We were playing speed cards. They're like, "Well, it reminds me of gambling." Oh, whoa, okay. Dancing, watching sports on Sundays, eating out on Sunday, enjoying certain styles of music, which are not overtly sinful. Tattoos. For women, uh, not wearing a dress to service. Yeah, we've been to churches like that. Or for men, not wearing a suit. Where's your suit and tie? Or watching certain movies, to name a few. See, these are, these are things that all of a sudden you have these evangelicals are fighting over these secondary issues. They're not even addressed in scripture. And people are getting upset about it. But so much debate takes place because the Bible doesn't specifically speak about it. While these issues can be important, they're not as clearly outlined in scripture. As certain things like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. See, legalists live by rules and not by the spirit. Their Christianity is do's and don'ts. Everything is either good or bad, whether or not it's in the scriptures. Their idea of maturity is doing the good things and avoiding the bad things. By the way, please excuse my voice. Most of it is because I was shouting yesterday at a wrestling match. I had my kids wrestle and I was like, get up, get up, right? So that's most of it. That's where I lost my voice, but... Back to the text. Their idea of maturity is doing the good things and avoiding the bad things. True spirituality to them is this list of do's and don'ts. And many people think that's what Christianity is. But that's not true spirituality. That's not true maturity. That's not true freedom. It hinders liberty, conscience, the word, and the spirit. Then on the other side, you got these legalists. And on the other side, license. Licentiousness. These guys say that everything that's not in scripture, you can do. As long as that's forbidden. He says, "As long as your conscience is free, you don't need to worry about what others think. Others think you can do as you please. So, what is the balance? This is what Paul is talking about, and I think the principles are really going to help us because every decision you make, brothers and sisters, everything you everything you do, brothers and sisters, should be focused on: Does this honor Christ? Will this help my brother and sister grow in the Lord? And here." In our freedom in Christ, we are granted liberty in amoral situations, okay? I'm not saying immoral. Note, I said amoral situations where it's not specifically stated. You are given freedom. That is a fact in Christ. Yet, oftentimes, that liberty is taken without regard for other believers who may struggle with that situation, I'll fill it out a little bit later. As a result, you become a serious, you become a serious stumbling block to that hurting Christian. This is simply selfish and disruptive to your brother or sister's faith and dishonoring to Christ. So here, Christ gives you clear instruction and wisdom as how to exercise your liberties, but yet giving priority to the wholeness of, And to the soundness of your brother's or your sister's faith in Christ. That's where the priority is placed. So here's my preaching point. If you're following with notes. If you want notes, there's more notes in the back. If we have uh, some helpers there. You could just raise your hand. But here's my preaching point. God's word is given to you this morning. So that you would wisely and lovingly care for your brothers and sisters. In Christ when practicing your liberties. Yes, we are all saved individually. No one comes because you're simply related to someone else and you come to know Christ. All of us must come through the same way, through repentance, through belief in Christ. But when you are saved, we are placed in this unique thing called the body of Christ. And our salvation is not, we are not independent of ourselves, of other people. We're not to be lone ranger Christians. We are called into this mystical, beautiful, wonderful thing called the fellowship of the saints. There are, let me, um, let me read the text. Oh, Jason already read it. Let's just move on and I'll read the text as we go. There are three very important directives when you exercise your liberties in Christ, okay? Three very important directives, three very important considerations you have to think about when you exercise your liberties in Christ. The first one, verses 1 to 3, is to match theology with love for others. Okay? Match theology with love for others. He says here, verse 1, Now, considering things (coughs) sacrificed to idols... We know that all have knowledge. Now, to unpack this, this, now Paul is talking about a specific situation that's happening in the church. Sacrifice to idols, these are idol sacrifices. In other words, this is what is happening. Specifically, this was meat that was offered to a supposed pagan deity in a, in a temple. If you remember in high school, the Greco-Roman world was polytheistic. There was a God for everything. Every situation, every need, every issue. There was a, in Greek mythology, there was a God of war, a goddess of love, a goddess of justice, the messenger God. Um, there were demons and evil spirits. The evil spirits in their minds were trying to invade your life. And in their cosmology, they would attach themselves to food so that when you eat it, it would be inside of you. This is what they, were, they thought and see, what's happening is this knowledge can be likened to correct theology. So what Paul is saying here is this knowledge, we all have this knowledge. And what he's saying is this, we all know that this isn't true. We all know that there's only one real God. We all know that whatever they do to the meat there, that it will not, um, it will not truly affect you. Well, what was happening was they would take uh, the priests of the different pagan religions. They would take uh, their sacrifices. They would burn part, one third of the meat on the fire on the altar. And then the priest would take another third. And then they have all this leftover barbecue. Prime meat. You got some prime rib. You got some filet mignon. And it's on discount. And you, there were some people who were Christians and they were thinking, you know, that's not really true. I already know it's not true. I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to go and get this discounted meat, right? So we could have a wedding or we could have a big party and we could have a lot of people over. So uh, what he's saying is that Now, Paul says in verse 1b, he says, knowledge makes arrogant. Knowledge makes arrogant. But love edifies. Here, the knowledge is this understanding. I know that there is, notice, I know that God is one. I know that there's only one creator. I know that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what he says here is if you only have knowledge... If you only have theology, if you only think you have it all down in scripture, with no concern for your brothers and sisters, with no concern for their souls, it makes you arrogant. The Bible says you're arrogant. The word there for arrogant means puffed up. It's another place where where you're just saying, well, I already know this and I don't really care how they feel. Or if they're hurt about it. You notice how Paul couples it together. Knowledge makes arrogant. But love edifies. And he adds it together. He puts it together. He's saying. It is good to have good theology. And you know Paul says this all over. Paul says. What well, That you would grow in the grace and knowledge of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over he says all these things. So he says. Theology is important, and and Paul himself is a theologian par excellence, correct? But he says, if you have, and it sounds like 1 Corinthians 13, if you have all things but you do not have love, what are you? Nothing but a loud gong, a worthless gong, and this is what Paul says, knowledge makes arrogant. Theology, dare I say this, theology in and of itself, without love for God and without love for people... Makes you an arrogant person. And so Paul says. You need to match that right theology. With love. He says here love edifies. And we know the word there for love. It's the agape love. It's, it's not the ushy gushy kind of love you hear in uh, songs. This is the kind of love that says. I will. I will do good to this person. To this object. No matter if I receive good myself. Or not. I'm going to build them up. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to care for their souls. And so what Paul says is, he says here, yes, it's good to have good theology, but match that theology with love for God and love for others. It is totally possible to be theologically correct, but relationally wrong. I was um I was encouraged uh my wife and I we took Ellie to go get some tacos. We we're grubbing on some tacos. Right? I was I was trying to convince her to get the hot sauce, but she she said no, 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 no. You need to get some spice in there, right? So, we were eating tacos and she gave our church one of the best um compliments I've ever heard. She said You guys are so theologically sound, but so loving at the same time. They don't have to be uh, uh, in a dichotomous relationship. You don't have to be, I don't even want to be around folks who have a lot of theology and don't love God and don't love people. Such as also the folks who love, say they love people, they love God, but they don't want to grow in Christ. They don't want to grow in the knowledge of scriptures. They they don't want to grow in doctrine. They think doctrine divides. They're not enemies with each other, brothers and sisters. If we are to grow in Christ, we are to match it with love. Paul is actually saying it's not enough just to be theologically right. Wow. I thought that there that's all that there was. That we just we're right, they're wrong. No. Paul says, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. So now he moves on. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. You think you know anything? You think you have arrived? This is what Paul is saying. If you think you have arrived, you you think you have all of your theological I's dotted and your theological T's crossed, you think you have arrived, the Bible says, you don't know diddly squat. You think you're mature. You think, oh, I I can do this liberty and I don't care if anyone gets hurt because I'm free to do so. The Bible says you actually don't know what you're doing. You're doing violence to the body of Christ. And as yet not known as he ought to know, and then he moves on. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. In other words, he's saying that knowing God... You cannot know God without loving God. And so here he's saying, if you really want to grow in maturity, it isn't just enough simply to say I'm theologically right. I have to consider my brothers and sisters. I don't live my Christianity in a vacuum. You see, this is how Americans want to live. This is how we want to live. I want my own car. I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone to touch me. I'm just going to go into my garage. I'll click my clicker in my garage, out of my garage. I don't want to talk to my neighbors. I'll just get on my phone. You know, uh, sometimes we have struggles with this when we have uh, even visitors in our youth groups, in our college and career. They'll come and they won't, they'll be so nervous to talk to people. They're just wanna, I just want to be on my phone. I'm too scared to talk to people. And yet God says we live and breathe In Christ, but as a Christian, we are part of one another. We are part of this family. I've got to consider them. So he says, he says, one, to match theology with love for others. Match your theology with love for others. And then he moves on as a transition. If you're going to practice your liberties, these liberties, to have patience. Patience for the growth of others. And he breaks it down. He says, therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. So now he's, he's, he's restating the truth. We know that there is no such thing. We know that even in in Psalms, it says that they, they, we, you make them and they have ears and they do not hear, they have eyes and they cannot see. They have hands and they cannot work. You pray to them and they will not answer your prayers. We understand this. Paul is saying, I know this. I agree with you. We know that there is no God but one. And so he moves on. (coughs) And he says in verse 5, For even if there are so-called gods... Whether in heaven or on earth, or indeed, there are many gods and many lords. And then he goes to verse 6, he says, yet for us, he's stating the truth. And so there's these two groups, okay? The one group are the mature Christians, but they're arrogant. They have the theology, but they don't care about their struggling brothers and sisters. And see, what happens is, when you come out of, when you first get saved, there are things that are difficult for you. And so it was difficult for them. They came out of a pagan religion, and when they saw you eating that meat, their conscience was pricked, and they remember they have bad visions of what they used to be. Oh, I used to do that. Oh, I used to worship that God. And when they see you in your freedom, you think, oh, good meat. In their hearts, they're not ready for it. And they stumble. Notice he says, he reiterates, yet for us, for us, there is but one God, the Father, whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom all things, and we exist through him. We know that God exists. We know that Jesus Christ is the master and ruler of everything. And then he says in verse 7, this is where you are to have patience, brothers and sisters. This is where the truly mature Christian is that I'm going to have patience and I'm going to have love and I'm going to realize that there are people in different, different, uh, in the same journey but in different stages. You have to understand this. He says, however, not all men have this knowledge. What knowledge? The same knowledge he's been talking about. They are not convinced fully. They are not convinced fully that it's okay to eat this meat. So, so, in other words, they may be at this place where I understand that, there is, that God is the only real God and you could only have a right relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. But I don't know. I, I know He's the right God, but I don't know if He's the only real God. Maybe he's, they're struggling like that. And they need time to grow. And brothers and sisters, that's what you need to do. You need to look over that. They need time to grow. Some are accustomed to the idol until now. And they eat food as if they are sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. And now they are weakened and hurt. See, here's how it happens. And we have to break it down. We have to break it down in our context. Okay? Say, for instance, someone uh, was a former alcoholic. And he's miraculously saved. He comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? I want to get to know him. I want to know what God has done in his life. So I say, come over for a barbecue. I got some tri-tip on the grill. We'll get some potato salad. We'll fix the table up. So he comes. Ah, man, what are you drinking, man? you want some? You want some beer? You want some... You want some whiskey? What do you want? And you start to offer him all this alcohol. Now, in Scripture, okay, is drinking a sin? No. Getting drunk is a sin. Yeah, that's very clear. Ephesians 5.18. Therefore do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? But drinking is not a sin. Correct? Am I okay? Biblically. Theologically, is it right? Theologically, it is right. Relationally, it's completely wrong. Why? Because I did not consider where they were at. I did not think about where he was at in his growth. I did not stop and pause and care for that person. In fact, all I cared about, well, this is me. I'm an American. I got my rights. I can do whatever I want. Where on last Sunday, I just sang, I am not my own. Do you understand? God owns me. I've been redeemed and purchased. Okay, I'll give you another one. Okay. Are you, are you listening? Okay. I like, uh, I like to study different cultures. I like island culture. And, and there's a particular culture called the Maoris in New Zealand, okay? And they have face tattoos and neck tattoos coming down here. And when they, uh, they, they used to be a big warrior class. And when they fight, they'd go, ah! And you you hear, you ever hear the hakas and everything and different rugby teams? and stuff? Am I just talking to myself? You guys know this? Yeah. No? Yeah? Okay. So, so so uh, before they, you know, they, the, some of them would illegally, it used to be illegalized, but they would have face tattoos, and neck tattoos and everything right here. And I was like, honey, what if I get that? I want to get that. I want that. So when I'm on the jujitsu mat, I go. Rah, 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 rah. Right. I want to be intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Now, you, know, you got to think about this. Okay. See, I did do that next Sunday, okay? Got it all over here, okay? And we have a visiting family from, let's just say, I'm just saying the Midwest, okay? Which is totally plausible, right? Maybe in the Bible Belt. They come from a a church where they're thinking, you know, um, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't date girls who do, you know, that kind of thing. And they come, oh, this is Pastor Angelo. Hi! Ah, Right? With all my tattoos. You see what I'm saying? Yes! We want you to come to our church and we want to disciple you and we want to disciple your kids. Are you following? Are you following? Now, theologically, am I right? Do I have the freedom to to get all inked up like that? Yeah? Are you guys following me? Absolutely theologically correct. Relationally. Is it going to hinder me ministering to somebody? Is it? It absolutely is. Why? Because now I have this, already there's this hurdle of uncomfortability of people not knowing who you are. Uh, They're checking out your motives. They want to know who who you really are. Are you really like this? Are you really a real Christian? You know when people, when we have visitors. Are you really a Christian? Are you just playing, are you just wearing this Sunday face? No, this is who we are. Then they have to get over this hurdle of what in the world? Why did he tattoo his face like that? And he wants to disciple my kids. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, we want them to be just like us. What in the world? So all of that to say, now it because they're coming from a background that has been largely legalistic, and you're. Sharing them the gospel of grace, but you didn't consider you only cared about what you wanted to do you see, I just care about what I wanted to do i just I just want to do what i want to do i i i don't have any regard for ministry i don't have any regard for uh whether or not it's going to be a block look at first corinthians nine check this out this is this is paul's paul's idea <laughs> That's not how Paul saw it. He would willingly give up stuff. Okay? He says here, you remember 1 Corinthians 9? To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save some. Verse 23, notice what he says. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker. Verse 24, he says... Do you not know? And he uses uh, athletic. Metaphors. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And he's saying, he uses boxing He uses running uh, as metaphors. Okay? And Paul's whole emphasis is, I want to win. And how do you win? I win by being able to preach the gospel to people. I win by being not a stumbling block for others. I win by being a a conduit of grace, of Jesus' love. By being real with people and preaching who Christ is, so that when they come to talk to me, I don't have stumbling blocks that they have to get over. First first of all, of my sin. Is my life consistent? Second of all, of the things that, of the liberties that I might enjoy. Do the liberties stumble you? See, um, it's funny, I have so many metaphors, like uh, my daughter and my son, like uh, wrestling is a hard sport. It is a very, very hard sport. They have to make weight right before they wrestle, right? And it's it's funny sometimes um, the rest of the family doesn't have to make weight they do you understand I'm having a good meal do you understand So we're sitting at the table and I'm eating a good meal and my son's looking at what we're eating and my daughter's like mm, that is tasty right there but I'm a pound over. I could just eat that. And then I said, Well, if you eat that, you're going to be bumped to the next weight class and you're almost there. And if you're bumped, bumped to the next weight class, you're going to be wrestling heavier dudes, Carlo. Right? And Carlo goes, uh, That's just real short. It'll just be till the morning and I could eat right after weigh ins. And he, he thinks, he goes, I go, Yeah, you could eat it. Go ahead. But do you want to win? Do you want to win? And Carlo goes, mm, I want to win. I want to win. All right. Let's keep according to the rules. Let's, let's discipline ourselves. Let's not just do this thing, this one thing. See, brothers and sisters, this is how it is with liberties. Do you understand? If you have a, a bunch of Christians who are at the church, guys and girls, you don't want to wear, uh, and you go to the beach, you don't want to wear things that are not modest. Because if you don't wear things that are not modest, is it your liberty? Yeah, you could wear whatever you want. But if you go there and you're not wearing modest dress, what happens? You stumble your brother, you stumble your sister into sexual immorality and the lusts in their head. And you didn't even know that. Now, can you wear it? You could absolutely. The the, uh, city of Oceanside will not stop you. But relationally, loving your brothers, loving your sisters... Do you want to win for the glory of Christ? Do you want to honor him? Well, I will gladly give that up. Gladly. Those are little things. Notice he says, lastly, number three, deny, deny liberties for the consciences of others. Okay? So we have, <clears throat> match your theology with love. Knowing is not enough. Now, knowing how to apply it in the church. Am I going to stumble my kids? Am I going to stumble my wife? Am I going to stumble the people at church? Am I going to stumble people who I'm trying to share the gospel with at work? Second, have patience for the growth of others. We are not all at the same place. You can't just say, oh, they need to get over it. I'm just going to do whatever I want. They need to get over it. That's not the emphasis of what the scripture says Says here. The scripture, have you noticed, he's talking to the more mature people, but the focus is on the immature people. Thirdly, deny liberties for the consciences of others. Yes, this is what God calls us to do. Deny liberties for the consciences of others. He says, but food will not commend us to God. We neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. Paul is just simply repeating what Jesus himself said. That whatever you eat cannot defile you in the inside. It's whatever comes out of the heart is what defiles you. Jesus says, all of these rituals and all these things are not the stuff that soil you. But he says here to take care. To watch to be alert, to watch carefully, to guard is, is is the meaning of the word, lest this liberty of yours, whatever the liberty may be, somehow be a stumbling block to the weak. So that's what should be beating on my heart, honey. Should we do this? What are people? What are people in the church? This is what. This is what. This is the things that come through our head. Uh, This is what also should be when you think about social media. This is what I have to do. Honey, I want to really post this joke. I think it's funny. My wife goes, Angelo, come on, don't post that. But it's funny. And it's my liberty. Don't post that. You're going to lead people into a a, a different rabbit hole. Okay, you're right, right? And I'm glad my wife helps me, right? Because I want to lead people to Christ. I want to guide them there. He says, take care of this liberty of yours somehow doesn't become a stumbling block to the weak. If someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? Now, what he's saying here is this, okay? Conscience is this alarm in all of us, but the conscience sometimes is not calibrated correctly. Our consciences need to be calibrated to the Word of God. And as you grow in the Word of God, it becomes more and more correct. Sometimes you feel guilt from things that are not really you shouldn't really feel guilt for. did you know that? sometimes you have guilt uh, from some manipulation or something, and you should and the Bible really sets you free. but what God tells us to do is to wait for that person to get there. Do you understand? we don't rush it, we don't throw stumbling blocks, we don't hurt their faith we don't disrupt their faith. He says here <clears throat> This person through your knowledge. Because you are in your mind convinced. He who is weak is ruined. You have hurt him. The brother for whose sake Christ died. Now here. And thus by sinning against the brethren. Now this is huge. Okay, You need to deny your liberties for the consciences of others. Why? The brother for whose sake Christ died. Now Paul is stating the importance of what just happened. He is giving the gospel in a nutshell. That God has created all of us to image forth his, his glory in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. But we in our sin has created a rift between us and God. And we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve his judgment. And you know if you look into the mirror of God's word, you know that to be true. You know that the word of God says do not lie and you know you've lied. You know the word of God says do not commit adultery and you know you've had lust in your heart. You know the word of God says do not steal and you know you've taken stuff from the from the office or you've taken stuff from somewhere else. You know you have not met the perfect righteousness of God and you deserve judgment. But God in his infinite love and his mercy sends us the best gift. He gives us his son. Christ himself does exactly and perfectly what we could not do. That is live a righteous life. And he dies a gory and bloody death on the cross. Substituted for me. And the Bible says if I trust in him. That's the word for faith. If I trust in him and what he has done. And, uh, and what he has done. And his person. The Bible says. I will be saved forever and ever. And so this is what has happened to these people. And by God's grace, this is is the kind of folks we want by God's grace. We want folks who are rough. You understand? We want folks who come from rough backgrounds. Who come from broken backgrounds. We want folks because we want to show them wholeness in Christ. We want to show them that it doesn't matter if you come from a broken family that Jesus can heal you. We want to show them that if they've made a mess with their sex life that Jesus can make you pure again. We want to show them that whatever idolatry that they have been following whether it be money or position that Christ himself can can give them the status of an heir of God. And so this is what We want to do. You don't want to be that stumbling block to them. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you are HFG leaders, if you are disciplers, if you are in any kind of ministry and you are leading folks, make sure you lead them to Christ. I remember this was taught to me when I was a a teenager. Uh, These guys would just start following me and I would just lead them into stupidness. Oh, let's just play volleyball all day, every day. For the three months that we have summer off. Not do anything and then let's just stay at each other's house. That's what we were doing. And I started to realize I'm not benefiting these guys spiritually. You're either leading them to Christ or you're leading them somewhere else. Do you understand? And so I had to take a look at myself and I say, am I going to be serious with Christ? With the influence that God gives you. Are you going to be serious with the influence that God gives you in your certain spheres of life? Now, here's the commitment. He's saying this, right? You've hurt your brother, but not only this. And thus by sinning against the brethren, he calls it sin. That is a you've missed the mark of the righteous standard of God. And wounding their conscience when he is weak. You've actually hurt your brother. You kicked him when he was down. Right? Imagine the the alcoholic coming to your house. Just maybe he's 30 days sober. And you just kicked him when he was down. Right? <laughs> now here. Paul says it here. You sin against Christ, now here, okay, theologically, let's go back, theologically, you can be absolutely right, but because of your exercise of it, and your arrogance, and your lack of love for your brother and sister, the Bible says, now, what is not sin, just became sin, what is not biblically sin, because of you didn't care, now became sin. And so here's Paul's, here's Paul's statement here. And here's the commitment that you need to have, brothers and sisters. If you call yourself a Christian, therefore if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, that I might not cause my brother to stumble. You see the heart of Paul there. His heart is not on his emphasis. His heart is not on, well, this is my right. I can do this. His heart is, well, what's going to help you? What's going to help you grow in Christ? Um, Some of you guys know I was in a, uh, my family and I, we were in a, for four years, we were missionaries in a South Asian country and where Hinduism was one of the main religions there. (laughs) And I couldn't believe this has actually happened to me. This actually happened to me. So we're preaching, and uh, this beautiful couple, we asked them, why don't you just come, bring your kids, come over for dinner. And I heard that she's from the Brahmin caste, if you guys understand. That's like the high caste, of uh, high priestly caste of Hinduism. And that she's never eaten beef in her whole life. Right? Uh, She hasn't eaten meat in her whole life. Okay. I'm looking at my wife. We're bringing them for dinner. We're not going to have meat. Not even chicken. Nope. Goat? Nope. Fish? Fish? Mm. And in our hearts, we're practicing 1 Corinthians 8. We're not going to cause her to stumble. Now, in her head, she knows, theologically, do you understand? In her head, she knows it's okay and biblically okay for her to eat meat. But she just wasn't quite there to take her first bite. Some people think, well, as a Christian, you should force her. That's absolutely unbiblical, unloving, right? The loving thing, I believe, by God's grace, was to eat vegetables that day. And you know why? Because for Christ, for the glory of the gospel, those things aren't that important to hold on to. Do you understand? If I want to reach this person, I'm not going to hold on to that stuff. Do you understand? Now, you might be sitting there and thinking, well, I'm free to pursue life, liberty, <laughs> and, oh, wait, what is it, and pursuit of happiness, right? Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Yes, that's true as an American. But as a Christian, we go beyond that. Do you understand? We care about the souls of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have the commitment to care about them. So, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. You have these liberties, praise the Lord. But be very wise and be very loving with how you exercise it. Match your theology with love for others. Have patience for the growth of others. We're not all in the same place. And deny your own liberties for the consciences of others. And with that, by God's grace, you'll be as Paul. I'm aiming to win. I'm going to become all things to all men so that by through me some might come to know Christ. Amen? Isn't that worth more than your liberty? Because if your liberty was more, think about what just became your idol. Do you understand? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Thank you for this text. Thank you for understanding. Help us to grow. Lord, help us not to be selfish. And not to think about how it would impact others. We love you. We love Christ. God, we, we sing, I am not my own. Oh God, may we live that. Really. Are you truly not your own? And you're truly Christ's. Then you will do this for the glory of Christ. You will consider your brother and sister. Oh, the Bible says... It's better that a millstone be uh, tied around our neck and be cast into the sea than to stumble one of these little ones. God, help us to live lives that are consistent in scriptures. But not only that, to be very wise with the exercise of our entertainment, the exercise of our liberties for your glory. We love you, Jesus. Help us to sing this last song. In Jesus' name, amen.